Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple. In light of all that is going on in the world and the heaviness, burnout, overwhelm that so many people are feeling, we wanted to share yet another episode with a different angle into mental health. So this week, I talked to board-certified dance movement therapist Orit Krug about the transformative power of dance movement therapy. And Orit shares how it's possible to heal trauma by tuning into sensations and being curious about those origins in order to move through emotions and connect more deeply with oneself and interpersonally. We discuss the power of integrating one's mind and body, how trauma is stored as fragments of sensation in the body, and the way that this approach can actually unlock hidden memories. We also talk about the profound impact of nonverbal communication, how this form of therapy is accessible for those who may not consider themselves dancers, and the importance of understanding one's own window of tolerance. As we so often do here, we offer practical tools to tune inward. We emphasize setting intentions and using movement as a form of self-expression and self-care. As always, please take care of yourself however you need to upon listening to this episode. Enjoy. Arit Krug, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) For anybody who's not tuning into this YouTube, Arit has an incredible, I guess they're decals, right? Are these like little dove gold decals, a plant, little candle, this little pink sofa. We're just living a vibe. I'm here for it. Mm -hmm. You're like sitting crisscrossed. I'm like, I feel like I should be I'm like my leg is raised on my own chair, but I'm in a stool. Like it's not it's not the vibe. It's not the most comfortable. <laughs> no, it's a def, it's a, a totally different vibe. Um for anybody who does not know you, who are you today? Oh, well, I am a board certified dance movement therapist. I help people and couples heal trauma from their bodies, access trauma from their bodies, especially when they've been in other therapies for a long time and feeling stuck. Um, and I help them do so to have healthier, more satisfying relationships without sabotage. I love, I think it's necessary. I'm so excited that you're here. Arita and I figured out that we went to theater camp together when we were youngins and we didn't realize, or I didn't realize that. <laughs> Until we just started going through like all these people that we have in common. It's just the world is so small, how we like loop back and become different people in these different seasons of our lives. But Arit was like an incredible, not was, I mean, you probably are still, I haven't seen you dance, but like a dope dancer. Yeah, I don't know about that, but thank you. I just do, these days I just do what my body wants to do. I don't take any classes or anything. I'm just completely resistant to structure, but I did have fun at that uh, at that camp performing, and we yeah, we were interacting for a while, and then you said your name, and I was like, I know you. <laughs> yeah, I love <laughs> can't, it. Can't forget I love you. It. Um, I'm really excited to jump into this conversation because we've had different versions of how to take care of oneself, and we've gone through it from like a mental health capacity. We have had a physical therapist come on here. We've had we've had it from different angles, and I feel like this is one that we haven't really dove into from this angle. Um, I'm curious, just a backstory of how you got to being a dance movement therapist. Yeah. So I grew up dancing. I started dancing in a local dance studio when I was four years old and did that 
until I left home for college. And as I was growing up, I was experiencing trauma and I didn't, maybe I didn't realize it at the time or at least until later, but going to dance class every day was a way for me to one, escape the place where I was experiencing trauma and a way for me to express myself in ways that I wasn't allowed to um, in ways that were very satisfying because I was holding in a lot of feelings. Yeah. And so I also throughout growing up, I just had this natural tendency and I knew that I was going to be a psychologist of some kind. Yeah. Um, but I knew also that I didn't want to sit in an office and talk all day. Like there was something more that I wanted. And when I was a senior in high school, my mom read about dance therapy in the newspaper and she's like, I think this is, I think this is for you. And I was like, um, yes. yes. <laughs> and so I found out about dance therapy. I went to college. I eventually went to grad school for dance therapy and got my master's, got my board certification. And here we are. It's just this beautiful fusion of um, helping people really tune into their emotions and work through trauma, through the body and through movement. Mm -hmm. And also my specific focus is on relationships. And for as long as I can remember, all these people, just even middle school, high school, would just come to me and ask for relationship advice. And I just loved it. Yeah. I definitely looking back, I'm like, I hope I gave decent <laughs> advice. Maybe not like board certified <laughs> advice, but I'm Maybe sure it was not. intuitive advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I even look at my myself two years ago and I'm like, I can give way better advice today yeah. than two years ago. But um, yeah, so I've been all like really called to, I've always been curious about my own relationships and also other relationships. And so all of that together, um, I, this is where I am. Today. I love it. I'm curious how maybe more of a traditional dance therapist differs from what you do. Hmm, that's a great question. So a traditional dance therapist functions or operates more like other traditional therapists where they work with people on a weekly basis for an indefinite amount of time. And I, and also they, I think a lot of dance therapists don't necessarily have a very strong focus. Mm -hmm. So I specifically have a neuroscience background in trauma and I am doing mostly retreats these days. So mm -hmm. that's already pretty different. But I also have a program online that is for, you know, it's not the traditional, hey, come to session every week. It's got it. Um, my Let Love In program is um, several months long and there's a focus on relationships and healing trauma. And um, it's a bit more less traditional. Yeah. Are you like sitting down with them in like a talk therapy kind of way? And like having them talk about the things that they would otherwise talk about in, say, a talk therapy space, are they standing up and you're moving them through body movements as they are communicating? Or is it like we are not even talking, we are just moving. And as we're moving and I'm prompting things, I would imagine things are coming up for people and then they eventually move through whatever is coming up as their body is moving. The, all, I, all of that and all any of, of that. Okay. So yeah, I generally do a short verbal check-in in the beginning mm -hmm. of the session. 
Um, and I keep it short because mo 99% of the clients that I work with have already been in talk therapy for 10, 20, even 30 years. Yeah. And they are talked out. And even though they know they're talked out, talking about their challenges, it's a familiar and safe place to be, but it also keeps them stuck in them. Yeah. And so um, talking and overthinking and overanalyzing really can serve as a defense mechanism for being in the body where trauma is primarily stored, where research shows uh, trauma is stored. And so um, we do a very intentional short verbal check-in. Okay. And if I'm working with a new client, it starts out pretty slow in terms of like, let's, um, let's just move our bodies warm up, like how does your head want to move and just bring them from head down to their feet. And a lot of times already, again, especially if they're a new client, even if they're yogis, or even if they're using movement all the time, just doing this unplanned organic movement already brings things up like am I doing this right or this feels like I it doesn't feel good or my breath is getting shallow it's like starting mm -hmm. to notice not only the, the sensations that are happening in their body but the ways that they're judging it which yeah. comes up so much and because I do mostly group work which is so powerful it's like people are going to see me people yeah. are going to judge me I don't know if I if it's safe to express myself this way it never felt safe before um and so it starts with noticing not just noticing noticing sensations coming up in the body and also how that's in how that's playing out in our therapeutic relationship between me and the client and also the other clients and because trauma is stored as fragments of sensation in the body and a lot of the times these sensations that come up just from starting to move together in this new way, it's, it's hitting on trauma memories mm -hmm. and things that, or for example, I have a client, I had a client who was in therapy for 20 years and then she decided to work with me and a little bit into our work together, we were doing more forceful we decided to explore like being more assertive. So we're doing more forceful movements and experimenting with that. And all of a sudden this trauma memory came back that she was like, in my 20 years of therapy, I've never remembered wow. this for her. It was actually extremely liberating to have that come up and for us to move through that. And be, and she's like, it's, it's released, you know, yeah. it's that that's been weighing on me. All of that was happening. You know, we warmed up and the sensations came up and then we were, I intentionally brought some, um, more strong movements in there. And as she's moving, she's like, Oh my God, this is happening. And yeah. then we process that it's important to bridge what's happening non-verbally with conscious awareness and integrating the mind and body. Yeah. Oh man, you said a lot and I want to unpack <laughs> so much. No, this is wonderful. Um, I love the way you expressed trauma being fragments of sensations in the body. When you are saying that, are you referring to it being like, it's not just like I had a, a traumatic experience and now it lives in my gut. It's more just like you have a memory and then it kind of scatters or is it more just like different kinds of traumas exist in different places because of how they've impacted you 
when most people hear trauma is stored in the body, they think, oh, it's stored in my shoulder or it's stored yeah. in this part. And we we can find out that, yeah, that it's maybe you have um, gut issues or extreme tension in your shoulders due to trauma. But more so, it's like when you experienced your trauma or traumas, there were certain smells, there were certain sensations, right? Like if someone who was abusive towards me wore a certain cologne and this happened 20 years ago and I'm walking down the street and I'm feeling good and I get a whiff of that mm-hmm. cologne or something similar, it will trigger the trauma if it is unresolved. Cause you ever get that when, you yeah. know, I feel like every time the seasons change, when it gets colder, it's so weird, but when it changes to winter, every single time I remember this memory of being outside with my boyfriend from high school mm. <laughs> on this cold day. And it was just such a beautiful memory. Like these happen, yeah. this stuff happens with really nice memories too. And it's just, every time I get that first whiff of winter mm. air, it reminds me of this exact memory. So mm. it's kind of like also when you hear a song that you haven't heard in a long time, and you hear it and it brings you right back to that last moment yeah. when you heard that song. So this happens with trauma. If it's a certain way that even a current partner touches you, that is well-intentioned, but it might trigger something mm-hmm. um, because it, that sense, tr- you know, it triggers that memory. Yeah. If that, if that helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just helpful to think of, I love the idea of it being like, all over as opposed to just these centralized, I hold this here, but like, yes. And it's also possible that it is held in other places or in different scenarios. It might, you might feel it differently um, so that we don't necessarily just assume that our bodies are holding in one kind of way. Um, I think there's something very interesting about understanding that. Um, I also, I'm really curious about this notion of the not judging the things that come up. This has been talked about in various episodes that we've had. I know for sure that when I coach and I teach and I do a body scan, usually in a masterclass setting um, to start, um, usually somebody who's brought me in is always like, well, why are you doing that? This is an acting workshop. And it's like, please trust. <laughs> and <laughs> it stems from in grad school, I had this unbelievable mentor who's a dear friend of mine now. I've brought him up also in different conversations, Jeffrey Crockett. You should know him. I'm going to introduce you to him. Actually, I think y'all are doing very similar work. Um, and we would just sit on these stools for hours And sometimes we'd be rocking our pelvises. Sometimes we'd just be breathing. Sometimes we'd be putting little sensations in our fingers. It was very much like isolated. Technically, he was our voice and embodiment teacher. Um, And we didn't really incorporate voice (laughs) into the movement at all for like the first year, maybe towards the end. But it was a lot of like isolated, just simple body sitting and moving and eventually maybe getting up and interacting with my classmates and seeing how these kinds of movements would interact in that kind of space. And it was so, so difficult for me specifically to just sit there and not judge and be like, I'm sitting here and these things are coming up and my I'm distracted in these kind of ways or now I want to not be focusing on all the things that are coming up while I'm doing this weird little small movement. Why is this bringing up all this stuff? Right. You know, we forget yeah. that our our body knows so much more than we think it knows. And to be kind to ourselves as 
things pop up or or rather just be curious about it is actually an offering and how that curiosity in accepting this as an offering allows for movement through to the next thing, right? Like emotions are fluid. If you don't acknowledge it and you keep pushing it down, it's going to pop up in different ways. Um, I love the reinforcement of the non-judging as a tool um, or perhaps reframing it as just like being more curious as things pop up. Um, yeah. Or playing. Really or yeah. Exploring. Playing. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I love the word curious too. And I think yeah. it's just such a great way to lead life with curiosity. We're, we're definitely enmeshed in a culture of making assumptions and meanings and associations yes. and everything. Um, and I do it too. But, um, yeah, I mean, everything you said, it it could just be the tiniest little things and it's just bringing up so much. Our our bodies are really holding so much. And if we're not consistently tuning in and moving through it or even being with it, which will inevitably allow us to move through it, yeah, it's just going to pile up. And I like how you were like, why are we doing this movement stuff? And I was just telling you before recording, as an artist, your body, whatever kind of artist you are, your body is the vehicle of your expression. Yeah. And, and that's true for every single human in this world. Our bodies are the vehicles for how we interact with others, how we move about our world, how we decide we're going to walk into a room, even if we're not consciously thinking about it, how we socialize. It's like, it's all a dance. Yeah. So it's just... We know we're living in a culture where it's very still, I think embodiment and somatics are definitely becoming more trendy and highlighted, but we still very much live in a culture where it's like, change your thoughts. Yeah. And so you'll change your life. And it's like, actually, if you think about your emotions, they really, emotions are sensations. Emotions begin as sensations in the body. If you're feeling sad, you might be feeling heavy. If you're feeling anxious, you might be feeling a buzz, you know, like this buzzing energy throughout your chest or somewhere else that happens differently for everyone. Of course, you're feeling happy, you might feel light and energized. And then the mind labels what these things are. And even working with clients from the start at the beginning of our work, they can really, or even in the midst of our work, they can really get stuck on okay, I'm feeling this in my body. What does it mean? It's like, it takes a lot of work to decondition from, I have to figure out what this means so I can solve it. Right. And yeah, that's just, just that is a very strong foundation of being more connected to yourself, which will inevitably help you be more connected to your art and other people. And if there's trauma, I've, I've worked with several artists too, who they will freeze up on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a mirror for the freeze response of the mm-hmm. nervous system. It's just like, it's so scary. Something about this is so scary that I can't even, you know, that my, my sur- survival mode kicks in and a pretty ancient survival defense mechanism kicks in and I can't, I can't express my art. Yeah. This idea that emotions are sensations, I I like want that. I'm going to put that on a post-it because, 
you know, I, I talk about it a lot too. It's just like you, if in order to move through to the next emotion, you have to like acknowledge it. You know, people often ask, you know, like, well, how do you deal with nerves? It's like, okay, well, you have to say like, hi, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. hello, I recognize you. I see yeah. you. You're, yeah, you're on this journey with me. And then those emotions can move perhaps into excitement. They can move into, you know, um, joy. It could move, but you have to bring it along for the ride with you. But I love the idea of not labeling those things as joy or excitement. It's also like, cool, where are your nerves manifesting in your body? Okay. You're feeling it as like, it's hard for you to feel your feet on the ground. Okay, great. And now where are you feeling the sense of joy? You're feeling it above your head, right? Like there's this space around your head that now is getting really activated. And where are you feeling the excitement? It's tingling in your fingers. I love this idea of tuning into the emotions as body sensations rather than us conceptually figuring them out as a form of movement through. For myself, I when I hear the word dance, I have a visceral response just because of my own relationship to dance or being not a quote unquote dancer the way I am quote unquote supposed to be in order to be in this industry or the level that I need to be at. And so when I hear dance therapy, I have a visceral response about my ability to interact with it. And so I guess I want to just mention that for anybody who is perhaps listening and being, well, I'm not a dancer, so mm-hmm. therefore I this is like an, an, a moot point for me to even be listening to an episode that has to do with dance therapy because I think what we're actually talking about, or perhaps you have an insight to this and please please relay it to me. Oh, at I've had thousands of clients <laughs> and I would say like maybe five of them have been dancers. Yeah. That. Nobody's so why are a dancer. we referring to it as that then? Yeah. I mean, this is a, I mean, in the dance therapy community, it's like, should we be calling it dance therapy? Yeah. Should we not? You know, it's a big thing. That... Like, why wouldn't we just call it body therapy or like, or like, yeah. som- like, I mean, I know there's like somatic therapy and whatever, but that's a whole other conversation. Like, why are we referring to it yeah. as that? So the part of dance therapy that we haven't talked about yet is actually what truly makes dance movement therapy unique and takes most somatic therapy approaches even a step further. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to look like dance at all. And there's never any structured dance, at least not with most dance therapists I know, and definitely not the way I do stuff. Um, It's just not about technical dance. Mm -hmm. And like I told you earlier, I was like, I don't even go to dance class anymore. I (laughs) don't like it. But it's um, coming back to this idea that our bodies are the vehicle for which we move and express and interact in the world. And so if you even think about the way that you move closer to somebody or you move away, maybe when you're when you're afraid and you move closer when you're feeling um, like you want to be closer to someone. And I specifically work with a lot of people who are very overprotective of their heart. And so they're just the way that they move is very closed and restrictive and they don't, and their, their, um, their limbs are very close to their bodies. They don't take up lots of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the body really takes on these patterns that manifest as behavioral patterns, right? If I'm like restricted and hunched over a lot and I move really small, it often looks like I'm restricted in my life and I don't Mm -hmm. take up space with my relationships, with my job. I keep it safe. And um, there are, when I work with couples, a lot of times 
heterosexual couples, the men move very more aggressively and direct Mm -hmm. and the women are moving like more fluidly and indirect. And so also they're the way that they're moving like the relational aspect of that i would imagine yeah like uh with one couple we were exploring moving anger mm-hmm. and the anger looked so different and the female partner had this story she's like he's always he's always getting angry and i'm you know staying calm and why why can't i ever get angry and we moved what anger i was like move what it looks like for you two to be in an argument and his was, it did objectively look like more forceful and more direct and um, not even necessarily aggressive. And her anger looks like chaos. Mm. And she was flailing her arms and moving them all around the space. And I was like, that's still anger. You're just communicating it differently yeah. through your body, non-verbally. And non-verbal communication is so Everything, much yeah. more, yeah, it's so much more meaningful than words. And so the way that we can change these behaviors that have been embedded within our bodies for so long, most people go live their lives, don't even realize how they're manifesting and how they're non-verbally communicating is we see what behave, how their behaviors are presented through their movements. And then we can start changing them. The -hmm. reason I was starting to do more forceful movements with that client I told you about before who remembered that domestic violence trauma memory is because Every time she would get into a confrontation with her husband, she would become smaller mm-hmm. and feel disempowered. And so I was trying to help her move in a more empowered way with these assertive, yeah. more powerful movements, which, of course, then we discovered that was so that was way too scary for her to do because it was associated with this very scary memory. And yeah. once we released that, she could start moving more with more assertiveness and more empowerment, not just in session together, but through like in her actual interactions with her husband. Yeah. I hear what you're saying as reframing dance as communication, right? Like we are consistently in dance with other people, with our bodies, right? Like me moving towards you is a dance of you moving towards me. We're in a dance right now. Exactly. I'm like, hey. Exactly. And then you're moving. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I think that's a really cool takeaway too of like obviously the access into this kind of therapy to perhaps for myself, like rewire what that means as somebody who doesn't self-identify as a dancer dancer, I move, but somebody who understands what it means to listen and respond as an actor to some, and that can be physical, that can be a movement-based experience, whether I'm embodying that in like choreography or not is a different conversation, but that is still what it means to be in dance in in relation to others, which is arguably like what we're doing all the time. Um, For me, that's a helpful reframe or at least access point for me to be like, oh, okay, this is why this kind of therapeutic model can work for anybody. It doesn't have to be somebody who is really adept at dance specifically with a capital D. For artists who are consistently in their bodies – arguably like that is what we do more than a regular human being who is always in their body. But what we are doing is using our bodies as the craft. What have you found to be some helpful things to think about as we put ourselves perhaps in more strenuous, um, consistent patterns um, 
have done roles or shows that have like, whether we are aware of it or not, really impacted our stamina and the way in which we move? Like what have you found as you have worked through artists and being an artist yourself are patterns that you've seen come up or things that are helpful to address now before they become exacerbated? I know it's like a one-on-one thing, but I don't know if there's like overall things, like trends that you've found. Yeah, I have worked with artists and mostly ones who are really aware that they have trauma stored in their bodies. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a bit of a different answer to your question. But I would say to get familiar with your nervous system capacity. Um, that's something that I've done a lot over the years where I had this idea, not my own fault or anything, but due to cultural expectations and also my own need to prove myself, prove myself worth through mm-hmm. my work and my art. I w- I'm a recovering overachiever and a recovering overworker. And it's just not my flow. Like my nervous system likes lots of space and downtime and rest and time mm-hmm. in nature. And even I love socializing and getting out there in community, but like I have a limit and then I listen to my body when it's like, you're good, go home. You know, Mm -hmm. even if everyone else is sticking around. So I think it's just really important to get to know your nervous system and understand the signs when, so we all have a window of tolerance. Um, This is a window of tolerance in our nervous system is the cool, calm, regulated space. And if you just think about the last time you were feeling really calm, maybe you're at the beach or you were cuddling with a partner or whatever, that's that you can think of that being in your window. And Mm -hmm. when we become more stressed or when trauma gets triggered, we, our window gets smaller. And in general, in trauma survivors who haven't, um, who haven't really healed from their past trauma yet or are re are experiencing new traumas now their windows are generally smaller, which means that it doesn't take, uh, it doesn't take too much to bring them out of their window and into dysregulation. And it's important to learn the signs of your body. That's like, I'm getting closer to the edge of my window, either into, um, hyper arousal or hypo arousal hyperarousal is more of the like agitated stress more likely likely to react in anger hypoarousal is more of the freeze dissociating numbing so either one of those is outside of our windows so to start learning the signs of am i in my window of tolerance and am i like deep in there or am i about to flip out yeah. and what can you do what what can you do for your body to get back into a more calm space because I'm sure you know and your your listeners know that pushing yourself harder does not help. Yeah. Even though we think we're like we have so much to do and we have to get this done and we have to we have a to-do list and I'm just going to push like for a few more days but yeah. I know I become less productive when mm-hmm. I do that instead of it could just be an hour of of taking space that helps. Yeah. I I love that reminder that we have the agency to tap out, (laughs) you know, that 
if we are in tune with ourselves and we are listening, like actually listening to what we need for ourselves and our window, um, we are able to say, hey, I need a breather. And it could be for 20 minutes. It could be for two hours. It could be for six days. I don't know. You know yourself better than anybody else. But that you have the ability to call that whenever. I feel like so much of us, and I'll speak on behalf of myself, have been taught that we need to not take up that space and that we're unable to advocate for ourselves because of X, Y, and Z reasons. And so we stay small or we we remain accommodating or we people please or all these other things that are not actually what we want to be doing, but we've been told we should do. Um, and the unlearning that has to go into redefining what it means to yeah, advocate for oneself or um, self-prioritize um, is is a real um, – it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, in the same vein, with someone perhaps – I love an example. If somebody is perhaps newer to really listening to one's body, even if, you know, one is – living in one's body all the time, but like really tuning into one's desires, one's needs, one's um, window. What are some helpful tools to just begin tuning inward and looking at one's body and being a little bit more self-aware? One thing that I start every single session with having my clients set an intention for the session, but you can apply this for your day or you can apply this for an audition or any sort of time or sort of situation. I have my clients set intention verbally, something that is practical. Um, so I'm like, don't set intention to heal your trauma because we're not going to do that in yeah. one hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can set intention of uh, alleviating some anxiety or feeling present with yourself mm -hmm. or being connected to others. And with that intention, just allow your body to come up with a movement, any movement, there's no right or wrong. So I know most people are just listening, but if my intention is to, um, to love myself, no matter what happens in the next 60 minutes, then maybe their movement naturally becomes this, um, hands on heart or mm -hmm. self hug. And that can also be used as what I like to call a safety movement. Mm -hmm. So it could be the same thing as your intention. It could be something else. But if you just for a moment, maybe it's at the beginning of your day or again at the beginning of a situation that you know you might feel overwhelmed or triggered or just not grounded, you can take a deep breath in. And on that out breath, don't think about it, but just allow your body to come into a movement that feels supportive to you. Mm -hmm. And whatever that movement is, just make that commitment that that's your safety movement. Anytime that you're starting to feel overwhelmed or starting to feel less grounded or, you know, you just have a sense of anxiety coming up, bring yourself back to that movement. It's such mm -hmm. a great grounding tool to bring yourself back to your intention or back to safety with a very simple movement. I love that. It also feels like 
a little secret handshake that you have with yourself. It's a super secret, simple, safe movement. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be something drastic. You know, it could just simply be, I love that, like a hand on your heart or um, you hold your own hand. I don't know. (laughs) You know, like there's No, I love that. I do. I hold my own hand. That's one of my safety movements. Yeah. But, you know, I think there's there's some self-love in that too. And just a reminder that you are with yourself when things feel a little wild and it's an, a small little way to start. It's just like, even yeah. if, it, even if it's not a predictable circumstance that's coming up, you have this one thing that you know you can rely on to come back to yourself. I love that as a, as a beginner tool for those of us who are perhaps not as comfortable going into our bodies. For people who are on, who have maybe extended out of their window for a while and are maybe in like a burnout phase of some sort or an overexerting phase of their lives, whether that was intentional or unintentional, what are some other ways that you find are helpful for people regulating their nervous systems or to give themselves permission to pause? I think the pausing thing is like something that I, I, I'm more curious about just knowing the rat race that we're all a part of and arguably post, you know, post pandemic, whatever that means and how the hamster wheel has picked back up again, whether we liked it or not, even though we kind of learned that that wasn't sustainable and now we're still back on it again. (laughs) And here we are. How do we, yeah. How do we give ourselves permission to pause when the world seems to say that you can't? Yeah. And I think pausing is a very drastic movement change from going really fast Something that I like to do with my clients is explore moving fast versus moving slow. And we intentionally move really, really fast together, which isn't very sustainable and only lasts a little bit. And also Mm -hmm. moving very awkwardly slow. And the awkwardly slow often feels so uncomfortable for people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that could be for a variety of reasons. Just like you said, because we live in such a fast paced culture, it can just feel wrong to move that slow. Um, for other people, it's tied to their trauma. Again, because this is so uncomfortable for so many people, I, you know, I give them home play, I call it stuff mm-hmm. to do at home between sessions. And I'm like, just, just like start to move slower. If you're leaving your, if you're leaving one room and you're going to the bathroom. Can you walk a little bit slower and you can take bigger steps, but just walk slower. You probably get there at the same exact time. Yeah. Um, can you pick up your phone slower? So I do this stuff with myself all the time. Like if I notice that I'm moving more hectically or chaotically, I'm like, let me slow down. And you, you can even do that with the way that we're speaking. Yeah. Um, so pausing may feel way too uncomfortable, but how mm-hmm. can you f- literally play, right? Let's mm-hmm. use the word play, play with moving slower throughout your day when, when, when and where you can. I love that. I love the intentionally play, the curiosity in the play. It doesn't need to yield into results. It's just about the the shifting of the way that we're moving in order to just see how it feels. And I'm not a you know, board certified dance movement therapist, but I would imagine that that in and of itself is actually slowing down your nervous system, even just the play in it. And that little small break is going to over time hopefully impact and build on itself. Um, that's such a, yeah, I love the play part 
in it. I think that's yeah. really great. Yeah, I'm, and I, I will say, like, move awkwardly slow. And we, like, we laugh about it and we play with it. Yeah. And it's, it's also really uncomfortable. Yeah. You're bringing up trauma with, like, a capital T. I'm curious how one can validate, maybe is the word, one's trauma, even if it might not seem as, quote unquote, bad as somebody else's. Yeah. Is like the part A that I'm thinking. And then part B is how – well, we can start with part A. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's it's interesting because I would say even 50% of my clients don't have this big, obvious trauma. Yeah, I think that's like where I'm getting at, which is like yeah. there's definitely – People have gone through really hard. Every single human being on this planet, living on this planet, is hard. So every single person has come up against something difficult in their lives. And sure, if right. we like compare it to somebody else's, it might not be as hard, right? But it still was real and it still had impact. Yeah. Well, that's what trauma is. Is like you and I could have experienced the same exact childhood, but perhaps you don't have trauma from it. But yeah. I do because it created dysfunction in my nervous system. It hardwired right. me to become hypervigilant and overprotective and re react in these defense mechanisms. So that's what trauma is. It's not how bad was your experience or like, yeah. what's the scale or, you know, whatever. It's like, how did it impact you? Yeah. You may have had, I've worked with clients who are like, I don't, you know, I've had a, I've had a pretty good life. I yeah. don't remember, or I know that I didn't really experience anything terrible, but it's like, you could be a child with, of, five, you know, you have four other siblings and you just didn't get enough attention and there's some minor neglect there. Um, you could have had a perfectly loving home, but at school you never felt like you fit in and day after day after day of feeling isolated and unaccepted and whatever else, you know, you process that as trauma. So it really doesn't have to be a huge thing. And uh, I know personally for a long time, I didn't admit to myself that I experienced trauma um, because it just didn't seem as bad right. or as big as others, but I did. It majorly impacted me. It still does in some ways. I mean, it, you know, shapes who we are, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just wanted to like put that into the ether because I know that that can be something that prevents people from wanting to reach out or seek help or be or look inward or be curious about unpacking things because it might not seem as bad. Um, but I, I think it's helpful to remember that it doesn't need to be huge in order for it to be impactful right. um, and formative and how we then therefore move in space and interact with others and are in relationship with other people. Um, you know, I don't know if it's like the use of the word trauma makes it feel larger um, when it's just maybe there's like other words for stress. I mean, yeah, sure. High amounts of stress is very, you know, can impact our nervous systems and immune systems in a similar way. So yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. If you're having, if you're having a hard time going through life, I mean, there's no judgment in reaching out for help or, yeah. You know, it's, there's, you're not gonna, you'll, you'll benefit from it no matter 100%. what. And you're not alone. <laughs> and you're not alone. Literally not Absolutely. alone yeah. at all. As we begin winding down our time, is there anything that is on your heart, on your mind, on your spirit that we did not talk about, um, knowing 
our audience consists of a lot of artists um, in this kind of space. I think it sounds cheesy, but the first thing that came to mind is to befriend your body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I like what you were saying before about emotions being there and just being like, hey, you know, yeah. I see you. Something that I'm kind of obsessed with lately doing with my clients and also doing it a lot myself is recognizing the different parts of ourselves. So mm -hmm. for me right now and myself, I'm exploring the part of myself that is overprotective of my heart and um, wants to stand up for myself. Mm -hmm. And then the part, another part of myself that is open-hearted, hopeless, romantic, like just want to give love to everyone. And they, these two different parts conflict yeah. with each other a lot. Um, if one's a lot more dominant than the other, like if my mm -hmm. open heart is more dominant, then I like don't have enough boundaries. And if my boundaries are more dominant, then I kind of like forget the love sometimes. Yeah. And so um, understanding the different ways that these parts present themselves in our bodies and integrating them yeah. and so i mean just know that all these parts live within you and your body is just doesn't feel that if it doesn't feel that way it's understandable but there's this beautiful vehicle in which you're experiencing the world and why not spend more time and invest whatever you need to invest to take care of yeah. your your vessel yeah, it is the thing that is you are living in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and expressing yourself through and, you know, using your body for your craft, which is just the extension of being a human being that you're already using your body for. You know, it's this thing that we often, I'll speak on behalf of myself, I often take for granted of and like think about like, well, just, you know, I put her through the ringer and just mm. it's like, and now you have to pay for the consequences of you not being kinder. Jen yes. to your own body. Yeah. Um, for anybody who wants to work with you, who wants to learn more about the work that you do, what within your boundaries are some of the best ways for people to reach out? You can visit my website, www.oritcrude.com. It's just my name and a website. Okay. I have everything on there. I have my services, my retreats. Um, I run women's retreats currently in Sedona, which are incredible. And there are a lot of client testimonials in video form and text form. You know, you can just hear about other people doing the work and just see if your story maybe or their story mirrors yours. And if it's something that you'd like to reach out, then you can find my information there and we can connect. Beautiful. Thank you so much for going on this journey today with me and for the work that Absolutely. you're doing and helping people refine themselves and their power and their autonomy and their love and their joy and all the other insert emotions here. Mm -hmm. um, and um, thank you for being in this space. Thanks for inviting me. If something in this episode resonated with you, and more importantly, if this podcast means something to you, it would mean the most to us if you would leave us a positive review. This means the most in podcast land and allows us to continue creating these episodes for you weekly. If you are not yet doing so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, more on our website at empoweredartistcollective.com. If you are seeking some fun, cute merchandise, we have that link for you in the show notes. As always, I am so endlessly grateful that you keep on coming back, and we will be back again next week. Until then.